0: Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the US. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Hey, guys. This episode is brought to you by BombBomb.com. You may have never heard of them, but here's what they do in fact I've been using them in my business for well over a year couldn't survive without them. so they take delivering a video in your clients or prospects inbox and they make it super seamless and easy in the past if I wanted to shoot a video share an idea concept with my clients I'd have to go to YouTube upload it copy and paste a picture in my email link it it was just a ton of work therefore I just flat out didn't do it now what BombBomb does it makes it easy in fact, I'm doing this video right now on their service. Once I'm done, I will hit save. It will upload seamlessly on their website. Then I just pull up my clients or prospects that I want to send it out to. I select the list. I type a subject line, put a little something in the body of the email, hit send. It's in my clients and prospects inboxes within a matter of minutes. Even better, think about your inbox. It's crazy, right? It's chaos trying to keep up with that thing. Well. Imagine if now your prospects or clients, they see your smiling face, they just see a play button, they hit it, they can now listen and watch whatever ideas you have to share with them in real time as far as face-to-face interaction as far as they're concerned, most importantly on their calendar, not on yours, and it's not all the work of having to read an email that's three pages long, so guess what, it just flat out doesn't get read. So here's what to do if you want to check out this service. My buddy Connor over at Bomb Bomb, he's put together a special offer for you guys. So it's bomb bomb, as in it blows up, bombomb.com forward slash Brad. Go out there for a two week free trial to check it out. He's put that together for all the Elite Advisor Blueprint listeners. And by the way, they put their money where their mouth is. So if you don't like the service after the two weeks, you sign up, you pay for it. They have a 30 day money back guarantee as well. So once again, bombbomb.com forward slash Brad. Go check the service out. I guarantee you'll love it. Welcome, everyone. My name is Brad Johnson, and I'm the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel. In each episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint, it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. Essentially, I want to help you make more while working less. In this episode, I have some of the most fun I've ever had on the show. I have the pleasure of speaking with Joey Coleman. For those of you not familiar with Joey, when companies like Zappos and Hyatt Hotels need to boost their client experience, they turn to him and his company, Design Symphony. His first 100 days framework shows how if you get the first 100 days right with a new client, studies actually show they will be a client for a minimum of five years. Joey shares multiple examples of, of how you can incorporate this methodology into your practice to create raving and loyal clients. You guys are gonna love Joey's energy. Here are just a few of the topics we cover. We start with a fun question. What it's like interviewing for a job with the CIA? Joey actually worked for them during the Clinton years, which included top secret security clearance, and he shares what that process was like. I won't spoil it, but I can guarantee it's a very different process than any job interview you've ever experienced. Next, we take a deep dive into the do's and don'ts of public speaking. Joey shares a professional speaker's view on how to prep to make sure you're impacting your audience and also common mistakes he's seen made from stage. Must listen stuff for your next seminar or client event. From there, we get into a conversation that's going to completely change your perspective on what a client experience can be the first 100 days. As financial advisors, we're always looking for market inefficiencies to capitalize on. Well, imagine if you could focus on just the first 100 days for new clients with the payoff that they'll still be clients five years later. Joey does a deep dive into how some of your favorite companies accomplish this, as well as how you can apply it as an advisor. Get the notepad ready. This part of the call is some of the best content we've ever covered, and it's going to be a game changer for you. One final note, for those of you listening to this via podcast, this was originally a live video call with my clients. Joey offered a free gift, the first 100-day starter kit. He's actually agreed to extend the offer to our podcast listeners as well. You can find it as well as show notes with links to all the resources discussed today at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash Joey. That's dot com forward slash J-O-E-Y. As always, thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Joey Coleman. <laughs> Alright, Joey, welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast. I'm excited to have you, buddy. It's, I'm excited uh, to in Scotts, or Scottsdale.
1: Yes, it has, but I'm excited to get a chance to reconnect. Thanks for inviting me on.
0: Well, you crushed it out there, so I have no doubt that you'll uh, do the same here on the show. So, um, just a little bit of background on Joey as we get kicked off here. Uh, JoeyColeman.com is where you can find him, his company, or his company is Design Symphony. So for those of you out there that aren't familiar with Joey, we're going to get into all the cool stuff that, that he does and that he consults on, and we're going to have a lot of fun here today. So um, beats being out in the snow, the, the three feet of snow that you got uh, last night, right? Yeah, a
1: l- little bit of snow here in uh, Colorado. I live about an hour west of Denver up in the mountains, and we definitely got dumped on, which will probably be the last snow of the season.
0: Oh, cool. Well, we, we actually, in Kansas, it was like 75 yesterday and then it was snowing this morning when I woke up. So, nice. Yeah, ah, that's, that's how we boy. do it out here.
1: Like the weather, stay ah, a few hours. It'll e- change.
0: Exactly. So, well, hey, we're just going to get this kicked off. I know you have a ton of content and I just want to get all of that stuff in your head out here for the listeners, the financial advisors that are going to be tuning in uh, for the show here. Um, before we do, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Sure. So, there you go. so this will be fun. So, um, in your presentation, I caught out in Scottsdale. You said you used to work for the CIA. I did. Yes. So, before we get into all the really cool marketing stuff, <laughs> tell me about that job interview and how that went.
1: Yeah. So, the job interview for that was actually pretty interesting. Uh, at the time that I was interviewing for the job at the CIA, I was actually working at the White House. Uh, This is taking it back a few years during the Clinton administration. And I was working there as a young lawyer, law student, and was helping on all sorts of legal issues. And without putting too fine of a point on it, as you might think back to that administration, you remember there were some legal issues. So let's just say I kept busy. And uh, at the time, I had a security level clearance because I was working at the White House. So when I went to interview for the position at the CIA, it was a nice and easy transition for them because uh, at that time, moving someone from one level of clearance to a higher clearance was easier than going from no clearance to a higher clearance. So the fact that I came in and was already A little bit up the ladder made that transition a lot easier for them. And then I got to go work with them, which was an absolutely
0: incredible experience. Wow. So I'm sure there's all kinds of fun stories you can't tell me about. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those (laughs) things where, uh,
1: you know, it's not really the, what I usually get asked is the old, uh, oh, well, you could tell us what you did, but then you'd have to kill us. And it's like, no, not at all, but I'm just not going to tell you what I did. (laughs) Suffice it to say, I uh, worked as part of their legal team supporting uh, activities around the world that they were involved in. Very cool. So not trying to be coy. That's just the reality of it. But but it was a really cool place. Lots of fascinating people. You know, I think the interesting thing, not to get overly political to start off our podcast, but the interesting thing about the CIA is most often we hear about when things go wrong with the CIA, which shows up in the news from time to time. Uh, We don't hear about when things go right. Which is really a shame for the people that work there because there's a lot of really dedicated folks who work long, hard hours in conditions and in environments that none of us would wish our worst enemy into and yet that's where they operate. Uh, It's just that we don't usually get to hear about when it works out. Uh, But thankfully, it works out a lot more often than it doesn't work out. So that's the net win, I think, for the folks that actually
0: work there. No doubt. you don't hear about the bombings that never happen because of them so right. yeah absolutely. well uh well Segue, but I just I had to I had to throw right. that out there. It was too interesting of a topic not no, to no no, that's
1: so. no problem. It's uh <sighs> it's one of those things that having it on your resume, I have yet to do a job interview at any point in my life after that where that wasn't one of the first questions they asked. So yeah, no, it's no problem at all.
0: It's kind of like if you can pass the background check there, you're probably gonna be okay on most other jobs.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll actually, since you bring that up, I'll tell you a funny little story about it. Um, if it's not too much of a tangent, forgive you know, me. No, go for it. So <clears throat> At the time, the when they started doing my background check, this was to elevate me from a secret level clearance to a top secret clearance and then we went beyond that later. But in that first jump from secret to top secret, they send out agents uh, and the interviewers to talk to people throughout your life. So, people you went to grade school with, high school, college, people you worked with, family members, et cetera. And I knew this was going to happen. And I was sitting in my apartment one night and I got a call from a buddy in college and he said, hey, I just got a call from these guys and they want to interview me about what you were like in college. What should I tell them? And I was like, you need to tell them the truth. It's like, the whole truth? And I was like, absolutely the whole truth. Like, There's no secrets here because while you get to have this conversation over a cup of coffee at the Starbucks. I get to have this conversation in a little white room hooked up to a polygraph. So your answers better match up with my answers and the best way to make that happen is just tell the truth and we'll be fine." So it was pretty funny and my parents fielded all kinds of calls because I grew up in a small farming community in northwestern Iowa, calls about, you know. Black government cars with government license plates driving around the neighborhood, asking questions about little Joey and what should they do. And again, I told my friends, like, just answer the questions honestly. Like, don't don't try to get cute. Don't try to get special. Uh, Just tell them what you know, and everything will work out fine. Love it. So
0: yeah, that's sounds like an experience everyone should go through. It was pretty fun.
1: Pretty fun, (laughs) say the least.
0: All right. So as we as we segue. Um, so what what took I'm curious now what took you from that career to the career you're leading now, which is really going to take us into um, the rest of this call. But um, obviously, you're a professional speaker, and yes. then you also do consulting on the side with a number of companies. Uh, Zappos, I know. Uh, you'd mentioned a few others, but that Zappos, maybe Amazon. I don't, I don't remember all the ones you you mentioned from stage. But right. what, how did that segue work? What what yeah. transitioned to there?
1: So the the there's a, a much longer version of this story, but the shorter podcast-friendly version is, you know, I went to law school. So I went straight from undergrad where I was a government and international uh, studies major to law school where I specialized in national security law and international law and litigation. And then I was a practicing criminal defense attorney for a few years. And then I left there to actually go teach at a school in Massachusetts, uh, executive education courses. Then I was running a promotional products company in Washington, DC. And then I decided to start my own company doing marketing and design and branding. And the way that it kind of segued from the law and the government stuff to the marketing and the design and the branding really comes down to a couple things. Number one, uh, years ago, I read something that said, if you're not sure what you want to do with the rest of your life, look at the books that are next to your uh, bed that you're reading at night. And that's often a good indicator as to the direction you really want to move in. And at the time, I was in law school and I was reading a ton of books on marketing and design. I was a early adopter of Seth Godin and his work and reading a lot of books about graphic design because I'd always had an interest in art and it dawned on me that the, one of the things that I really enjoyed about being a lawyer was building the exhibits for trials. You know, the little models and the dioramas, and you know, kind of creating the big things to you know hide behind the screen and then reveal, and it shows what actually happened in the case. And I was having a lot of fun on the design side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also enjoyed practicing law. So I'm one of the few folks you'll meet that is not practicing law anymore. That uh, didn't leave because they hate it. I left because I found something that I enjoyed even better. And so always had these kind of entrepreneurial uh, beliefs and ideas, which I know a lot of your uh, listeners and viewers are kind of the same way. They're entrepreneurs and uh, independent advisors and folks that have decided that the big corporate life isn't for them. They want to build something of their own. And that was my dream too. And so I decided, well, maybe I should put my money where my mouth is and give it a try. And you Know 10 plus years later, I think this is probably it's like year 15. Actually, uh, here we are.
0: That's cool. Well, that's uh, I love that. Whatever books are on uh, your nightstand is something uh, you should check out. So now, yeah, I'm trying to think here. Right now, I've got a lot of Dr. Seuss. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> <I like it. laughs> we've got a five year old and a four year old. I know you have
1: young children, all right? Too, yeah, so. yeah, I've got a two <laughs> and a half year old and a four month old. So, yeah, there you go
0: uh i we might get to your other favorite children's book here in a bit so okay
1: sure yeah um
0: so um as a lot of my clients are doing and a lot of the independent financial advisors that are are tuning in here uh do a lot of public speaking probably not quite as much as you i asked this on the last uh conversation to scott scott McCain, hall of fame public sure. speaker and so i would i want to ask you the same question because i'd love to hear your viewpoint on it um As a professional speaker, do you have any rituals or routines that you go through prior to taking stage that just get you, I guess, ready for game time or for lack of a better term?
1: Sure. I I think there's two answers to that. And I I appreciate the question because it's something that people wonder a lot about, right? They sit in the audience and they see the speaker come up. and. They either think, wow, that person really knows their stuff, or maybe that person doesn't know their stuff, or wow, that guy seems really confident, or "Oh, that guy seems really anxious and nervous out there. Um, but yet, it's shocking to me how few audience members actually come up and talk to the speakers. So as an aside, before I answer your question, if you're ever sitting in the audience and you see a speaker and you like what they have to say. Go up and tell them after the speech. Go up and ask them questions. Uh, We're a lot more willing to interact with the audience than it feels like when we're standing up on a podium or up on a stage and you're kind of down in the audience watching. Uh, So definitely encourage folks to do that. In terms of rituals and habits, I'd say they kind of fall into two categories. There's the what happens up until the night before and what happens the day of. So what happens until the night before? The primary thing I try to do as a speaker is to really make sure that the presentation is customized to the audience. I've never given the same talk twice. I never will. Uh, not only does that keep it interesting for me, but I think it really keeps it interesting for the audience. Uh, I had the chance to listen to your interview with Scott. You know, He talked about working on slides up until the last minute. I'm the same way. If there's something in the news or something happens or I have an experience on site at the event that I feel is relevant to the conversation, I'll absolutely work it into the conversation and into the presentation. Uh, as you had the chance to see, my presentations are really visual. In the typical hour-long keynote, there's north of 250 slides. So what that really does is it almost creates kind of a movie running before me. So being able to add more visuals on the fly is a lot of fun. The other thing that happens before I actually uh, kind of leading up to the night before is just to really rehearse the material and really be familiar with it. I mean, this is my life's work for over a decade now. And even before that, frankly, uh, I was always really attuned to the experiences that customers were having and how some businesses were better at that than others. And so not only do I keep my eyes open and my, radar uh, locked for those type of opportunities that I might come across in my own life. But I'm constantly figuring out how to teach people and share with them how to do that. So that's kind of the leading up to the night before day of it's all about game time and so it's really a matter of uh just trying to be present be in the moment i try to open myself up it sound it uh some people think it sounds a little hoochie poochie but i uh got this from some work i actually had the pleasure of uh working with tony robbins not only as a member of one of his uh his elite mastermind groups but also uh, having some personal conversations with him and he talks about kind of being open to what needs to be said in the moment and so I don't get really caught up in, oh, I have to deliver this sentence exactly this way every single time. I really try to feel the energy of the crowd. And when you can tell, this actually happened in Scottsdale. I told a story that wasn't, that I actually have slides to support the story, the story about uh, Darren Hardy from Success Magazine. yeah. yeah that was an in the moment standing on stage looking at the audience seeing some heads nodding but realizing that not everybody was connecting with the point i was making i decided i wanted to tell one more story and that flexibility to be able to add that in i think is is really important so day of leading up i just tried to say i'm open to whatever's coming whatever energy's coming off the audience i'm looking to pay attention to where they're at and then it's hit the stage and go
0: Which by the way, the Darren Hardy story, um, who I've gotten a chance to know, uh, he's spoken at a few of our events, Cody was in his mastermind, we did some private masterminds with him. I'm so glad you added that in because that was one of the best pieces of the whole presentation. So it's cool how just that's cool to hear it was on the fly
1: totally 100% and you know it's one of those things where hindsight being 2020 i might have looked at it and said well i knew that Cody knew Darren and so maybe that would have been a good story to tell but when i look at an audience and there were you know almost a thousand financial advisors at the world series of sales you know i always try to have stories that resonate with everyone But also stories that resonate with specific individuals. And given Darren's profile and knowing that he had been involved in the past with Advisors Excel, I was like, this is a story where they know the player in the story. And so they might find the story even more interesting. But like I said, it was just being open in the moment to say, okay, this is what it's going to be. And being familiar enough, and I don't say this from a place of ego, I think this is the difference between... Semi-pro speakers and pro speakers, I think if you're going to hold yourself out as a professional speaker and get paid to give talks, one of the things that, at least for me, I try to be really responsible about is the event organizers have booked me for a set period of time. And when I go on stage, my job is to end within 10 seconds of that time right? Because I don't want to go over, I don't want to go way short. And so that idea of being open to sharing a story, knowing that while I'm sharing the story, in the back of my mind, I'm cutting things out because I need to make room for the story I just told. Hmm.
0: So sounds, like, sounds like you better be good at what you're doing. <laughs> no, I, I think you know. Which you if, are, by yeah, the way. Yeah, so. Thank
1: you, I appreciate that. No, I think it just it keeps it exciting. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. a performance. It's an opportunity to engage people. And hey, I don't I don't take the job uh, lightly. I mean, I recognize that companies are paying to have me come to create an experience for their audience. And it's not just a like rah rah. Hey, let's feel better or let's get fired up to go back and do good things. It's like no. What are the tactical things that you're going to do starting on Monday? To make the experience that your clients are having better. Because I know that if you do that, it dramatically increases your bottom line, it dramatically increases your employee engagement and your employee level of satisfaction. And as a result, all boats rise together. Hmm.
0: Okay, so I've got about three ideas. So sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one here. So um, okay, this will this will be fun. So there's a lot of financial advisors that we work with and consult. And the way that you, the way that I really look at um, marketing, is it's kind of like I've got like three slot machines sitting side by side. Mm-hmm. This one, every time I put hundred dollars in, it pays me out five hundred. This okay. one, every time I put hundred dollars in, it pays me out twelve hundred, but I can only pull that lever maybe once every or twice a year, right? So it's just a matter of how frequently or how can I turn up the volume on each of these marketing funnels, and then what's my ROI. And so, what's interesting is public seminars, when you look and we've analyzed all the numbers, um, this is pretty consistent. Almost always, other than referrals, are about the highest ROI in the business. Sure. However, this I'll tie this back to public speaking, however, guys that have never done them have stage fright, scared to get up on stage um, and it goes back to knowing your content, rehearsing it. Um, I think the studies show public speaking, people fear that more than death. So There there
1: there is definitely that apocryphal story. What's fascinating is my buddy Michael Port wrote a, uh, a great book recently called Steal the Show which anybody who's interested in doing more speaking, go buy that book. It is incredible. I think it's the best resource on the topic. That is currently available. Uh, it's absolutely tremendous. But he actually talks about that, you know, fear. You know, oh, they fear speaking more than death. He did the research. Nobody knows where that came from, right? Just, Nobody can find the study that refers to that, right? So here's the interesting thing. Uh, and a couple of my friends razz me because if, uh, you know, in conversations people ask, oh, what do you do? Frequently, it will come up that I'm a professional speaker, and they're like, haha, what's professional mean, right? Like you've been speaking all your life. And the same holds true for all of your advisors, right? They actually know how to talk. They do it all day, every day. And they don't really get stage fright or nervous talking to their spouse or talking to their best friend from college or even to a group of friends at a dinner party. The problem is, we put this pressure on ourselves. We think, well, this room's full of strangers and they're judging me. Fact of the matter is, I would say 99% of the audiences that you will ever address. The people in the audience want you to succeed. They really do. Like genuinely at a very deep cellular human level, they want you to succeed. So we kind of go into it thinking, oh, you know, and there's, again, there's obviously noted exceptions to that. And we see it lots of times with a politician addressing a hostile crowd or a lawyer addressing a jury. Like that's why we train for these things because we know how to handle the audience that doesn't have our best interest in heart. but in a financial advisor world, you know, doing a seminar where you're going to tell people about the importance of compound interest or the importance of you know, having a diversified investment plan or the importance of insurance being part of your mix of how you think about your financial security and stability, the people who have come to the room want to hear from you. Like they want to hear what you have to say. And we often have a tendency as the expert or as the person giving the presentation to think, well, if I, don't, if I don't fire on all cylinders and cover every single possible thing I could on this topic, they're going to know that I left something out. They're not. Their knowledge on this is a thimbleful. You've forgotten more about financial advising than most of your clients will ever even think of, let alone retain. Right? Like, I mean, it's just not even close. So, the fact of the matter is, we get in these environments where we feel anxious and nervous about it. If you come at it from the point of being an educator and a teacher, instead of trying to put the pressure of coming at it from being a sales tool or worrying about what the ROI is, and I understand as a business owner, you want to take into consideration ROI. But if you walk on stage and your thought is, How many of these people are going to set up an appointment? How many of those appointments will I be able to convert? Who are the A ones that I'm going to take are the platinums and who are the B's and the C's that I'm going to send to my junior advisors to build up their portfolios? If all of that is going in your head, yeah, we've got some problems. Instead, if you just clear your mind and say, for the next half hour, for the next hour, for the next however long your seminar is, my goal is to teach these people things that will make their lives better. And whether they choose to work with me or not, I actually don't care because the reason I got into this business was help to help people find financial security. So if they can find that with another advisor, great. And if my questions or my advice that I give to them or the information I share helps them to have a better in, a relationship with the advisor they're currently with, great. No problem because we never forget where we learned it from. Right? We'll never forget the teacher who took an interest in us and said, I believe in you. Let me share some of my knowledge with you.
0: Awesome advice. So, okay. So, I've got one other piece on that just because there, there's so much you can, I mean, we could have a whole podcast on just, you know, speaking. Um, and public speaking and how to do it right. But I know we've got some really cool stuff to get to but one last question on that topic. So, I know we've got a mutual friend in Stu McLaren who I believe you helped coach to victory at a Mastermind Talks.
1: I got to give a lot of credit to Stu. He and I did have conversations leading up to his victory. Uh, Whether I deserve title as the uh, coach who coached him to victory, we'll leave that to Stu to decide. But uh, yeah, we definitely had some conversations.
0: Cool. So, so as you've coached a few people that, that speak and speak on big stages, um, w- let's go with what are the three biggest mistakes you see people make when speaking from stage? Mm. Or maybe it's not three, but a couple of the biggest mistakes.
1: Yeah. A um, couple of thoughts on that. Number one, I think that sometimes speakers are too much in their heads and not enough in their hearts. What I mean by that is they're so focused on, I've got to give them the information, I've got four points I need to cover and each one lasts five minutes and boom, ba, boom, ba, boom. Instead of actually opening their eyes and watching what's happening in the audience, right? If the audience isn't with you, continuing to pound your head against a wall, it's not fun for anyone. It's not fun for the speaker. It's not, for the, it's not fun for the audience. It's not fun for anybody involved. There have definitely been times where in speeches, I have had a plan to go down one path. And because of the reaction of the audience, I've taken it a completely different direction. And when that's happened, it's been magical. I think the secret is knowing your material cold and then being comfortable to take the conversation where it needs to go. Especially if you're addressing like if you're a financial advisor and you're doing a seminar and there's 20 people in the room, right? If you're speaking before 10,000, yeah, probably want to stay on message, right? And we see plenty of examples of uh, particularly in the world of politicians and athletes where they kind of deviate from message a little bit and then they end up paying the price. Uh, but in a in a setting that most of the people listening to this podcast would be involved with, I think that's a big piece of it. You know, be aware of the room and be conscious of the room. Um, other mistakes, I think, speakers have a tendency, in those that are on the stage, to be really hypercritical of themselves. You know, they they're doing a performance and they're looking at all sorts of things. So I give you an example, and th- this is. I I try to be honest in all of my uh, interactions, or at least as honest as I can. Uh, I was watching the video from the speech I gave at Advisors Excel with my wife at the World Series of Sales. And we were watching this uh, a few uh, weeks, earlier this week, actually. And I said to her, you know, I'm not really sure I like the shirt I'm wearing. And she started laughing and it's like, as a speaker, I know the content and I'm watching how the jokes are landing and the, the audience is paying attention to things and I'm seeing how it goes. But we, we, we get hypercritical about every aspect of the performance, relax, let that go, right? The audience, if I were to, you, you just said, that you, uh, shared earlier that you had watched it recently. I'd be willing to bet, I could be wrong, we'll see, that you might not even be able to describe the shirt I was wearing. Right, even well, though
0: it, just watch it or maybe you just interesting. You
1: thought actually it isn't that good of a shirt either.
0: Well, what's funny, and I do appreciate a good shirt. Actually, a, a shout out on this shirt if if for those of you out there that have not checked out Mizzen and Maine, ah, will Mr. change your Main life.
1: Plug. I love it. I They'll love change it.
0: Change your life. Uh, shout out to Jeff Rose, who I know he's a fellow shirt connoisseur. But nice. anyway, um, you 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 actually had two or three jokes in that presentation where you're like, hey. Don't worry about the jacket. But what was funny is you brought that back. You kind of made fun of yourself in the actual presentation, and so yeah. Now, see the jacket can, I love. The jacket I stand by. The shirt, <laughs> oh, oh, shoot. Questionable, <laughs> not
1: <laughs> just an, No, but the funny thing is, I mean, that's another technique that if you if you do it right, can really help you build rapport with the audience. Now, here's what we we know about me, right? Folks watching this. They see a lot of colorful things going on in the background. You know, I was joking with Brad earlier. you know, Brad looks like he got a haircut five seconds before this call. I look like I haven't had a haircut this month. You know, I knew speaking to a room full of financial advisors that as a general premise, it would skew more conservative, right? more conservative in dress, more conservative in beliefs, more conservative in philo- overall life philosophy. And that's fine. I, no problem with that. You might be able to tell that I'm a little bit further towards the liberal side of that spectrum. And so two things. Number one, I just acknowledge that from the stage, right? I'll make fun of my hair. I'll make fun of my jacket. I'll make fun of my shoes because I know they are a jacket and shoes and a hairdo that the average person in the audience would never even consider, let alone support. Right. But it also allows me to kind of acknowledge, hey, there's some differences, but don't get lost in the package. Right. One of the best things I ever heard from a, uh, from a speaker, there was a guy who was at an event and a guy came up and he did kind of a, you've probably all been to these events where it was a real sales pitch, right? And it was like, oh, and we'll have 10 of these available in the back of the room for the first 10 people. Now run to the back of the, and I mean the people in the room were like, are you serious? This is horrible. It's pathetic. Like what is, like those days, they're just gone. Like that selling from the stage is just, it makes you want to have to take a shower. The MC came on after the speech, and and by the way, when this guy started his speech, the room was full. By the time he was done, no kidding, 90% of the audience had left the room. 90% had gotten up and left the room, not like pulled out their phones or started doing other stuff, physically removed themselves, right? The guy came up on afterward, and he said, do yourself a favor. Never tune out the message because of the messenger. The information the guy was sharing was really valuable. The way he packaged it, the way he presented it, not so much. But in every engagement, try to look for what is the thing I can learn from this. And I, you know, I try to do that not only as a speaker but I, as an audience member. Every speaker I've ever seen, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I've taken away dozens of learning points from. And I think that's definitely a, a good way to approach making every opportunity in your life a growth and learning moment.
0: One other add-on, and I I, th- I think this was a Tim Ferriss podcast, um, but he his guest, and I forget who it was, um, he said I go through life, and so he was re- he was referencing when he sits on an airplane, okay, and he says I go through life, and I I picture as if I'm the movie, I'm I'm the protagonist in the movie, and he mm-hmm. said. You know, he says, What a boring movie this would be if I just sat there with my headphones on the whole flight. And so he approaches it that way. So he'll interact and he'll see what he can take from each person that he comes across. And I always thought that was a really cool way to kind of approach life and and see what you can take out of it. So I love it. Yeah.
1: I mean, and as you know, my whole business, my whole speaking is built around experience. Like what is the experience you're having in your life uh, what is your what are the experiences you're having as a consumer what are the experiences you're giving as a business owner or as a financial advisor you know what are the experiences that you're having just in your day-to-day life socially mm-hmm. all of those things combine to make a pretty fantastic life if you're willing to pay attention to the experiences happening around you
0: mm-hmm well, let's get into the the really good stuff. This has sure. been awesome, but I know you have a ton of stuff speaking of the client experience. So, um let's just let's just kick it into I I believe you term it the first 100 days. Correct. Right. right? And so let me um let's do this because not everybody has that had the experience of or the opportunity to listen to you in Scottsdale. Can you just give us a quick overview, 30,000-foot view? What is the first 100 days? And then let's dig in and and talk about some different examples of how you can actually incorporate that as a financial advisor.
1: Absolutely. So here's the basic 35,000-foot view of the first 100 days. The first 100 days is a philosophy, a methodology, and a plan that is built around the following research and observation and facts. When someone becomes a customer, a clock starts ticking that decides what kind of experience they're going to have. And around the world, in all industries, somewhere between 20 and 70% of your customers who are newly acquired, who become new clients or become new customers, will stop doing business with you before they reach the 100-day anniversary. I want to let that sink in 20 to 70 percent of the people who've raised their hand and said, I want to be a customer will stop being a customer before you reach the 100 day anniversary. Now what's interesting in the world of financial advising, and I made a reference to this in the presentation in Scottsdale, a lot of advisors go, well, Joey, we can barely get the paperwork done in the first 100 days. Don't worry. They're still customers. Yeah. Fair enough. In, as far as looking at the specific calendar time. But if your focus is all about getting the paperwork done for the first three months and kind of working through the minutia, that client is never going to be a referrer and they are probably already looking for other options. Now, they may not take those options or maybe a waste before, but if you don't get the experience right in the first 100 days, you're in trouble. Now, if you do get the experience right in the first 100 days, Statistically, if we get to day 101, in the typical business, they'll stay for a minimum of five years. So what does that tell us? It tells us that this period of time in the customer life cycle is disproportionately valuable and important what's fascinating is most organizations, and respectfully, financial advisors are a little guilty of this too, spend so much time on the sales and marketing, right? Oh, how are we going to fill the funnel? How are we going to bring them in? What are we going to do? You know, how are we going to convince them that they want to work with us? And then we get them to sign on the dotted line. And what happens? In most businesses and in most financial advising firms, the next steps get handed off to some of the lowest paid people in the firm. Does that really show that we care? I understand there's a reasoning and a rationale and I understand some advisors may be sitting saying, Joey, I'm I'm leading this company. I can't be doing the paperwork. Fair enough. But what I'm saying is, is the experience they're having from the moment they become a client until that 100-day anniversary remarkable? Because if it is, that's where the magic lies.
0: You made a great analogy in Scottsdale at our event. Uh, it was It was a marriage analogy you know you, you went on all these dates with your future partner and you know asked talked to her parents and they said yes and had a beautiful wedding and then you're you know the next thing you know you're like, Oh, what about this girl over here and that's unfortunately it is a lot of financial advisory practices. You know, where it's as soon as you land them, on to the next one. On to the next one, exactly.
1: And there's a couple of things financial advisors, if it makes sense, a couple of things financial advisors could do to avoid that, right? That are they're actually pretty simple. What about having the whoever's going to be the account manager or the person that's just sit in the meeting for 10 minutes? They don't have to sit in the hour-long pitch, but bring them into the meeting for 10 minutes. Introduce them, let them get to know each other. When you go to lunch with the client. Bring the receptionist who's going to answer the phone. Instead of having the receptionist eat at their desk or eat in the break room, right? bring them on the client dinner or the client engagement because then the client feels, oh, this person has a similar status and a similar level of importance and I can feel comfortable with them answering my calls or handling my situation in the same way that I hope to feel comfortable with the senior advisor handling the situation. I'm not saying they have to sit in for the whole meeting because a couple of advisors came up to me after the event and they're like, there's no way we could do this. We have too much work. We barely have enough time. And it's like, I get it, but just give them a little taste. You can also do it using technology. What if early on in the process you said, hey, by the way, you had your first meeting and they were going to go home and think about it. You said, look, I'm going to send you a link to a web page that has five four-minute videos. It's a four-minute video from each of the five people on our team that will be dealing with your account in the next year. Now, we'll introduce them to you as they come, don't worry, but I want you to get a feel for who they are early on in the process. And you send them a link to a video that you've already shot, which costs nothing by the way, and then they're watching these videos and they feel like they get to know the person. And the video shouldn't be, hi, my name's Joey, I'll be handling the filing of your forms to transfer your accounts from Fidelity over to our firm or blah, 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 blah. It should be, hey, I'm Joey, Uh, I'm super excited to be working with you, Bob told me fantastic things about you, let me tell you a little bit about myself, I went to Notre Dame for undergrad. I went to GW for law school. I'm married with two kids, so like you as a fellow parent, I'm really concerned about what their future is gonna be. I've been working in this financial advising firm for 10 years, I absolutely love it. You're in good hands, and I'm super psyched that we're gonna have the chance to get to know each other in the weeks, months, and years to come. Love it. It would blow their minds. Mm -hmm. No one is doing this. No one is doing this, you know?
0: So, while we're on this subject, there's a really cool service. Have you ever heard of BombBomb? Bomb? I have, yeah. Makes it really easy. In fact, I think might have been Darren Hardy's Mastermind Group where that or that originally came out. But uh, oh, interesting,
1: because I heard about it from a guy who was in Darren's group as well. So that's yeah.
0: I think Cody brought it back from there, or Chris Hobart, or somebody. Right. So, um, interesting. So, yeah, I mean, that whole concept—that's the—that's the software. A lot of our a lot of our team uses. So, um, obviously, yeah. well for and, and
1: sending individual videos. But did you notice the video that I, the, the role play that I just did could apply to many, many of your clients, right? That can mm-hmm. be pre-recorded and still be true and accurate, but not require a lot of drain on time or resources for the firm. Because I recognize one of the the biggest takeaways for me in the conversations that I've had with your advisors before the event, during the event, and since the event, is how many of them are completely overwhelmed when it comes to their calendars. Completely overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I've tried to schedule calls with some of the about where the advisors have said, Joey, it's a priority for me to talk to you. And I'm like, great. When do we want to get that on the calendar? And they're like, I'm six weeks out. I'm like, should I take this personally? And it's like, no, literally, I'm running from eight o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock at night, five days a week, plus the weekends for the next six weeks. If you focus on making your entire team part of the customer experience instead of just you, not only are your clients going to be more excited, but it's actually going to free up some time in your calendar and there are very few people that i know in 2016 that don't wish they had a few spare minutes in their calendar i, I don't, don't care know. what the progression is
0: you can always make more money you can't make more time that's the saying and right so okay so i want to get into to a, a few more examples here so one thing that you mentioned at our event you had i'll just call it a communication or a, a communication audit
1: yeah sure. where you said
0: essentially, yep. here are the six ways you can communicate with a client or a prospect in those first one hundred days, and right. I'll just name them off here real quick uh in person email uh traditional mail, phone video gift um, so let's go with let's go with other companies before we get to the how a financial advisory or a financial advisor can do some of this stuff. Okay. What are some companies you've seen that do incredible jobs with different pieces of those communication? Just well, some fun examples.
1: Yeah, sure. I'm happy to give some fun examples. But before I do that, let me just say it's not that it even has to be incredible. If you even use it at all, you stand out from the rest. Okay, so let's lower the bar on what we have to, the pressure we have to put on ourselves like, this needs to be the greatest phone call in the history of the world. No, sometimes just a phone call that shows you care or are paying attention is enough. Real life example, yesterday I get a phone call from GoDaddy. So I own a bunch of domain names I have for years. I keep renewing them. Someday there's going to be things there. Some of them are built out businesses, but I'm an ideas guy. So I've got, you know, probably 50 domain names. Right, that are just kind of sitting waiting for different ventures and different ideas. And I got a call from GoDaddy. It was a 35-second call. And this is how the call went. Hello, is this Mr. Coleman? "Uh, Yes, it is. Uh, Mr. Coleman, do you mind if I call you Joey? Ding, 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 automatically excited because Joey is not my full legal name. It's the name I go by, but it's not the name on my credit cards, which means it's not the name on the account that they're reading up, which means somebody paid attention in a previous conversation and put it into their CRM. I said, no, I actually prefer if you call me Joey, which I do. He said, hey, we just wanted to call and let you know how much we enjoy you being a GoDaddy customer thank you so much for your business. I said, oh, you're welcome. He said, you know, I know you've been with us for, wow, I look at it, you've been with us for over a decade. You probably have this pretty well worked out, but just out of curiosity, do you have any pressing questions or concerns? I said, no, I don't at all. I said, great, no problem. I won't take any more of your time. Have a fantastic day. And thanks again for being a customer. I hung up the call I was in my kitchen with my kids and my wife and I turned to my wife and I said, and that's why I like GoDaddy. There wasn't an upsell. There wasn't a, hey, we need to schedule this or we need to try to get you involved in this. The guy recognized, wait, probably knows where things are, don't need to do anything. Irony of of all ironies, this morning, because they were fresh in my mind, I went in and got two new domains and purchased another one of their upsell services on my own because i realized i had been needing it and i had forgotten that i wanted it needed it until i got the call. so moral of the story is you don't have to do anything above and beyond crazy. for let's do some examples that may apply to financial advisors because i think that'd be most relevant to the folks listening. you know, even a phone call to congratulate them on their kid making the state basketball tournament. or a call to congratulate them on their 5 year wedding anniversary. or better yet a video that you shoot in the office on your iPhone in all of four minutes where you walk around and you have everybody sing happy birthday and that's what gets sent to them. It's using these tools we talked about in person, physical mail, email, phone, video and presence to create personal and emotional connections, Right? not just to check a box and say we did it. A lot of advisors will say, well, we have a newsletter. And that goes out via email. So check that box. We're doing great communications with them using email. Do you even read the newsletters you send? Stop and ask yourself that, advisors. Do you even read the newsletters that come out of your office? I'm not bagging on newsletters. Newsletters can be really valuable. (sighs) But this implication that, well, we're checking the boxes, so therefore it must be good, that's where the problem lies. What if it was a newsletter that had nothing to do with financial advising? What if one time, your weekly or your monthly newsletter, you did a whole issue on the people in your office? And you said, hey, we don't need to be self-serving, but it dawns on us that you may not know all the employees on our team. We'd love to take a few paragraphs here and introduce them. And you write about them personally, what lights them up, what interests them, what excites them, instead of how, what role they play. Business Sure, mention that, but that should be a sentence at most. These are the type of things you can do to create these interactions with your clients where your clients will go, huh didn't see that coming that was interesting <clears throat> that was different
0: so spot on first of all because it's you look at how how are humans you know how are we wired We're wired to have emotional connections with others and 100%. so we call that creating a gossip column in your newsletter and in fact i would even take that a step further um, one thing that we realized on ours is nobody wants to read the current rate updates or anything like that but what they do want to know is what brad do this weekend with his kids right and so pictures and a quick little blurb kind of like a facebook update really you know here's right. what's going on in my life and so we've incorporated that into things we do a lot of our clients have too. So, I'd even encourage them to include that in almost every uh, communication or newsletter if possible.
1: I agree. And I'd encourage them because I've seen some of those newsletters where it's at the bottom mm-hmm. where I'm never going to get there, lead with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Because if you were to pull your clients aside, how often do you think cl- your clients go out with their friends for dinner and talk about you, their financial advisor? or talk about how their investments are doing in the market. You think those are usually the opening questions when they say, oh, Bob, Linda, it's great to see you. We haven't had dinner in six months. Oh, how's your portfolio doing? Right? Like, I mean, with all due respect, and I'm, I'm, I want to be really, really clear, I'm not at all trying to minimize the important work that your advisors do. What I am saying is, Create opportunities for them to connect with you on a personal level, not Mm -hmm. just on a business level. And the more you do that, the more they become a friend. Which at the end of the day, most advisors I know, they got in this business to help people. And when they first started out, they were friends with their clients. Because they maybe only had eight or 10 clients, right? So you knew them, you knew what their hobbies were, you knew what their interests were. You'd see them in the grocery store. Oh, hey, Sue, how are you? How are the kids? Because you didn't have to remember that much. It wouldn't surprise me if some of the advisors watching this are in a scenario that, when it comes time to do the annual, you know, review and check-in, that they have to go to the folder or the file to refresh their memory as to who this person even is. I'm not being critical. Again, I get that that is part and parcel with growing a business, but what are you doing to build those connections that? you're remembering what actually matters to them and the really the fine details of the things that are going on in their day-to-day life instead of this big picture, you know, oh, where's my long-term financial planning?
0: Mm-hmm. So one other quick fun tool I'll throw out there. Uh, we created this for one of our clients and I love it. Um, He, on prior to all of his public speaking events, so seminars, different things like that, he has a little one-page handout and it's basically 10 random facts to know about him. And it's formatted up, has a picture of him and his family. He has some young kids so you can see basically him outside of the office. And then it's just completely non-business related tips. Like one of them was, hey, I worked at In-N-Out Burger in high school. So any of the secret menu stuff you want to know, I'm your guy, right?" right? And so it's just, it's funny because I read his and I'm like, wow, I learned like three things that I didn't even know. And I've worked with this gentleman for four or five years, you know? So just the fun, interactive, get to know me as a real person stuff goes so far.
1: Absolutely. And I would. I think, first of all, I think that's a great idea. So you go to the public seminar, if I'm understanding correctly, and you get handed this little form that tells you some interesting things about the guy who's about to speak, correct? Correct. Yeah. Awesome. So then, some of those people actually become clients, correct? Or at least Mm -hmm. that's our hope, right? Mm -hmm. When they show up for the first meeting and we're getting all their particulars, I'd ask them to answer the same 10 questions. Throw the ball back into their court and say, Let's build the same rapport. Craziest job I ever had as a kid was working at In and Out Burger. What about you? What's the craziest job you ever had? You know, my best advice for raising kids is, you know, it's okay if they have sharp objects, but don't let them run with them. Okay. What's your best tip for raising kids and suddenly you're having fun. You know, and I'm making this up off the top of my head and what's great is because I know Brad has kids that are at the that sharp don't run with it aid. Right. Did you see his reaction folks? Watch on the podcast. Watch his reaction when I said that. Partially because it was funny, <laughs> but more likely it was because he thought of his own kids in that moment. Right? Yeah. So now we're making personal and emotional connections.
0: It's amazing. Sometimes it's the simple stuff, right?
1: You know so, what, Matt? It's always the simple stuff. Uh, it's not just sometimes. It's always the simple stuff. And what is often disheartening and shocking for us to learn as business owners, that it's, it's not the radio show or the TV show or the shock and awe kit or the amazing binder that really sealed the deal. It's part of it. I'm not saying those things aren't important. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, what seals the deal is they feel like, you know what, this guy's going to take care of me, this woman's going to be in my corner, and that is a gut feeling that can be augmented by your branding and your marketing materials, absolutely. But it's accelerated even more by who you are as a person and how much you're willing to share that with them.
0: Mm-hmm. Spot on. All right, so we've got about ten minutes here. Sure. And I, I feel like this conversation could go another two hours. So maybe, maybe we have to do part two of this someday. I'd be but, happy to come um, back
1: and do a part two. You
0: know? <laughs> cool. So, all right. Cause I want to for sure capture this story. So, this was one of the, I, I was scribbling notes like crazy during your presentation down in, out in Scottsdale. But this one was one I was like, this is a no brainer. Why does everybody not do this? And it was the, it was kind of a two part story. Okay. Do so you have a buddy? Uh, his name is John Rulin. Am I pronouncing yeah. that right? Absolutely. Okay. And he, I think you called him an expert in strategic client appreciation. Correct. So he has a story where, and I wrote down a quote a gift with your logo on it is not really a gift for them, it's a gift for you. Yeah. Right, as a business owner, if I give you an advisor's Excel logoed something, right? So first off, can you hit on that concept and really what John does that's really unique, and then segue into your Darren Hardy story, uh, if you don't mind sharing that as well? Because I yeah, thought that yeah, was really no, cool.
1: No, happy to. So. Uh, John and I have known each other for a while now. Great guy. Uh, as Brad said, is an expert in strategic appreciation. And what that means is what are you doing to acknowledge, appreciate, and gift your clients that will help deepen and build and further the relationship? Right. So in working with him, one of the things that I said is, you know, we were talking about logos and client logos and he agrees with this. You know, I'd actually said, you know, a, a, lo- a gift with your logo on it, isn't a gift for you uh, or isn't a gift for your clients. Rather, it's a gift for you, right? Because it's, it's more marketing material. What John does is really special. He, when early on, when I first met him, not long after that uh, he sent me a gift and it was a knife. And on the knife, like a really nice, like high-end kitchen cutting knife, right? And it said, uh, for the family of Joey and Barrett Coleman, my wife's name. And then underneath it had the Design Symphony logo, the logo of my company. Now, what's really cool about that is a couple of things. Number one, that knife gets two touches in our house every night. My wife makes dinner. She uses the knife to prepare dinner. I do the dishes. I clean the knife. Every night we see that knife. At least twice if not more what's fascinating is nowhere on that knife does it say John Roland's name nowhere on that knife does it has hit does it have his logo he doesn't have to because it was a thoughtful gift that also has a really practical use and I remember every time I use it my relationship with John right so John is really brilliant at this stuff I had the opportunity to be on a podcast with Darren Hardy and uh, the Founder and editor of Success Magazine. And we were talking about uh, customer experiences and how to create remarkable experiences in the first 100 days. And at the end of the podcast, I wanted to send him a gift. And so I talked to John and I said, Look, I want to send Darren a gift, but what do you get for the guy who has everything? Like, you know, Darren's super successful, uh, very well off financially, like everything's good. Like, what am I going to buy that is really going to move the dial for him? And John said, You know what we should do is we should do a gift for his wife. That would be even more interesting. And for all of you that are listening that are married, I'm sure you've had the experience where your spouse received a gift and they were delighted by it and that delighted you. Now, whether that gift came from you or from someone else, fact of the matter is we'd love to see our, lo- our loved ones light up. So I thought, great, this sounds good. And so we sent her a leather tote bag with her initials on it. Fast forward a few weeks, I get an email forwarded from Darren to me that says, Joey, thought you'd want to see this. It's an email from Darren's wife to him, right, that he sent on to me that says, Darren, who is Joey Coleman? This guy is unbelievable. I just got the most beautiful bag in the mail. It has my initials on it. It's going to be so lovely to use at the beach this summer. Please send me his email and phone number so I can thank him personally. I love the fact that you did the work. Of having him on the podcast, and I get the benefit. Okay. Moral of the story is for your clients, when you're thinking about how do we create these remarkable experiences, don't forget to look to their spouse or their children. Some of the greatest ways people have connected me with me in the last three years is by doing really thoughtful gifts for my kids. Not even for me, like I'm more excited about my son getting a thoughtful gift than I am about me getting a thoughtful gift. So expand your horizon, look beyond who's my direct client and look to some of the people that are in their life that they love and care about and think, well, what gift could I give to them? For example, I know a lot of financial advisors do like sports appreciation outings where they'll invite everybody comes and we'll go see the local baseball team play in the summer and do-to-do. right, and That's fun and everybody goes and they enjoy. What might be even more interesting would be to go to all your clients and say, bring your kids. We're going to go not to the big stadium. We're going to go to the local ballpark where they play T-ball or, you know, junior little league or whatever. And we're going to bring a celebrity baseball player there and, you know, bring the pitcher from the home team and see if any of the kids can hit off him. You know, that kind of thing. Those are the memories. Right, And then have a photographer there that takes a picture of the kid with the pro athlete and then send them a poster of that for the kid to hang in their room later. That's how you create a remarkable experience. And I guarantee that client will be more excited about that little exchange than any gift that you could send them. Not to mention, we get to kind of work within compliance and still create a lovely event.
0: I'm glad you threw that disclaimer on there. exactly. <laughs> we we get a deal with that on a daily basis oh, so.
1: absolutely. and I get that but you know the funny thing about compliance and we talked a little bit about this, you know a lot of the folks that work in compliance are lawyers or or report to lawyers. and as a former lawyer, let me just say this, they actually don't like saying no to you. You think that that's their job. You think that in their interview, the the person interviewing them said, would you like to be a compliance officer? They said, oh, I'd love to. Can you say no to me 50 times because I need you to get used to saying no to any idea that comes out from the financial advisors we're working with. They actually want to say yes, so just befriend them. Try to make a personal and emotional connection with them and say, look, we want to put together this fun event, and by the way, I know from my own research. The rules around compliance around events are a little bit different than the rules around a gift, and an event can be a gift as well. And then a small memento of that gift, like a poster, which by the way would cost all of twenty dollars to print, can be a huge reminder of this incredible day we had at the ballpark, right? So work with compliance; they, they they'll they'll be willing to work with you.
0: Hey, and that's that's coming from a former lawyer, so oh it, it holds merit. So yeah. 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 And one thing I don't, I don't want to miss on that because I think the key thing here is genuineness. And I know the gift to Darren Hardy's wife had a very thoughtful note and it, and it was, hey, you made a huge sacrifice, yeah. Darren's time away from you. And so, hey, I just want to say thank you. you. know. And I think that's the other piece of that powerful, it's not just the gift. It's the thoughtful note that goes with it that you actually put thought into the the whole thing Absolutely. as it was coming together.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And forgive me, mm-hmm. I left that part out of the story. But yeah, I mean, it's often a handwritten thank you note or a handwritten little message is exponentially better than anything that you would purchase and mm-hmm. give to them, right? Stop and ask yourself this question. Tell me the last three handwritten notes you got. My gut instinct is for the average person watching this, you have to go back at least a year to get all three in. This is something we don't do anymore. We send emails, we fire them off, right? All I'm saying is spend 10 minutes, remind yourself that you learned cursive when you were a kid, and write a note. Right? It's that simple like you were taught this for a reason. I find it ironic that we don't teach handwriting in schools anymore. I think this is going to make the idea of a handwritten note even that much more special because the generation that's coming up right now isn't even learning that. Okay, so now we'll have this kind of artifact that's a reminder of yesteryear and when times were simpler and when people cared more and now you can trigger those type of emotions. Are you kidding me? I'm kind of looking forward to it.
0: So, So, fun fact. They actually have a way now to turn your handwriting into a font. Totally. Totally. yourfonts.com. So
1: Yourfonts.com or bond.com and all those Mm -hmm. work and and I think those are a great solution, right? Nothing beats you handwriting it because by the way, when I get one of those letters that's your font printed out, I can tell that it was printed out, which is fine. And you may say, well, Joey, I have sloppy handwriting, I, I need to use that. Okay, that's fine. But I'm just saying then at least do a personalized PS with one sentence on the bottom so that they know you care.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, it's I mean, it's, it's like the newspaper. It's going extinct, you know, everything's going electronic. So if you go do what everybody else isn't doing, you're just going to stand out that much more.
1: Zig when everybody else zags. Yeah. Exactly. And at the end of the day, and I know Scott talked about this on your uh, show, you know, this whole idea of creating distinction. And being distinct. I mean, at the end of the day, isn't that what we wanna be? We wanna stand out and we wanna be thought of as special. Well, so do your clients, right? And what more to make them feel like they're special than these little personal touches, right? These little, you know, whether it's a handwritten note or just remembering what their favorite ball team was or remembering what type of coffee they like to drink or whatever it may be, those are the things that reinforce that you actually do care about your clients.
0: Well, Joey, we're very close to the end here, but if it's cool with you, I want to sneak in some rapid-fire questions. Yeah. Are you you good on your feet? You're ready to roll.
1: I'm ready for it. Let's make it happen.
0: All right, buddy. Um. All right. So, this is one of my favorite questions, and I know you're a big reader. Um, what's I'll I'll, I'll ask two pieces to this. Answer sure. however much you want. So, the favorite book you've ever read, and how it impacted your life, or Okay. your favorite your favorite book to gift, or that you gift the most or both
1: interesting so that's as you might know that's an extremely difficult question, especially for someone who uh, loves to read books and I definitely love to read books. Let me uh take them in reverse order okay we'll start with and I'll, I'll come back to my favorite books, but we'll we'll go in reverse order with the books I like to gift there are two books that I probably gift the most. One is Tim Ferriss's 4-Hour Workweek. I gift that to any, especially young person I meet or budding entrepreneur or just starting out entrepreneur because I think there's a lot of great information in there and a lot of great suggestions around how to structure your business and build it. So that is probably one of the books I have gifted the most. Uh, it's been out for a while now, but it's still a classic. And don't be caught up in the title. It's not about creating only working four hours a week. Uh, I've had the pleasure of interacting with Tim and speaking on the same stages and getting to know him over the last few years. And he works definitely more than four hours a week. Uh, but it's about you know automi- automation and systemizing and things like that. The other thing I love to give is when um, we and we t- we talked about it a. a in the presentation in Scottsdale, I love to gift new parents uh, a book, and I am drawing a blank on the author's name, but just go on Amazon and Google it. It is called Go the F to Sleep, Okay, and it's basically a children's book that has been written Which, if you you know, and I know it's a little little off color in terms of the title. And by the way, when you get into the book, it is definitely a not safe for work, not safe for little kids book. Uh, It's such a powerful uh, message, especially for new parents that are dealing with sleep deprivation and trying to put kids to sleep. It's it's definitely a classic.
0: Especially when read by Samuel L. Jackson. Exactly.
1: I was going to say, the audiobook (laughs) is even better because the audiobook is narrated by Samuel L. Jackson, which is even better, right? but even the written book is fantastic. And I've heard that Jennifer Garner just did a reading of it. I have not seen this yet. A couple of people have told me that they've heard about this, so I'm going to have to seek that out. So, yeah, it's it's pretty fun and entertaining. this is in terms of the, the book that has impacted me the most. It's this is going to feel like a little bit of a cop out, but hear me through. Um, it's the next one, right? And the reason I say that is because the thing that has served me best in my entire life is being a lifetime student and constantly looking for opportunities to grow and learn. I read across an unbelievably wide spectrum of books. I mean, I have my business books, obviously, I have my marketing books, my sales books, my customer experience books, I read a lot of design books. I read, probably now I'm at the place where I'm reading about 40% of what I read is fiction, and I'm reading fiction from a lot of different writers, old stuff, new stuff. Um, I read Stoics like old-school you know, Roman and Greek literature, I read all kinds of things because it's my personal belief that the more inputs that you give your brain, the more it can make connections between those different inputs. And so, I'm constantly looking for what is the next thing. That being said. I don't get overly caught up in, I only need to read the classics, or I only need to read something that's going to be life-changing, right? Uh, I'm, I'm reading a James Patterson book right now, which if you don't know James, you probably do know James Patterson. He's the most published author in the history of the world, right? I think he has now over 300 books. He jointly writes them with other writers, but I mean, the guy is just prolific in the amount of books he creates. Um, I'm reading a book of his that is never going to win any prizes, and I say that Respectfully to James and his work. It's never going to stand out, but it's it's a little bit of a it's candy for the brain, right? It's it's nothing that's gonna change my life. It's nothing earth-shattering, but it allows me after a long day of work to put something into my head that isn't work-related. And what's fascinating is it's already making other connections that are showing up in my life just because. I'm allowing my brain to rest and not worry that everything I have to that everything I read has to have a purpose, so that was a long answer to a rapid fire question
0: I love it. it was good stuff so all right, so let's go with uh, this is always fun okay let's go with two more let's go with right. two more and uh <clears throat> let's go with if you could go back and give your when did you graduate from law school? How old were you?
1: I graduated, let's see. I graduated from law school when I was about 24, 25ish. I went straight to law school from undergrad.
0: Okay. So yeah. let's 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 go to that time in your life. So okay. just hopped out of law school. Yep. Big accomplishment. If you could go back and give your 24, 25-year-old self, younger Joey, some advice. Yeah. What would it be?
1: This is all going to work out even better than you think. We spend so much time, I think, when we're young, worrying about where is the future headed? And as a result, we often miss the present moment we're in. I had some absolutely incredible experiences in law school and post-law school, and one of the the most frequent questions I get asked when people find out that I used to be a lawyer and they're like, oh, well, then was law school a waste of time? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right. It was hard. It was a challenge. There were plenty of sleepless nights. Uh, it was, in many ways, some of the, the, one of the most difficult things I ever worked myself through. Um, and I think when you're that age and you're kind of done with your formal education and you're stepping out to the world, there's this question of, well, I got to get the right job. I got to get on the right path. I got to start climbing the ladder. And the more, you know, here I am, give or take 20 years later, I realize that it's less about getting on a single ladder and climbing and more about just continuing to take a step forward. You know, it, it ends up feeling a lot more like chutes and ladders than just a ladder, right? Um, there are times where it's going to be a setback, there are times where you're going to bounce from one ladder to another ladder and it's a lateral or maybe even you go back down but just trust that it is all working out exactly the way it's supposed to and the more open you are to the possibilities in front of you, the more fun this adventure of life will be. So that's what I'd remind myself at 24.
0: Love it. I love it. All right. Last one. Sure. Uh, So what is the one piece of advice you can give the listeners or the viewers uh, on the the podcast here that has led to your success? Hmm. Don't be afraid to be
1: different. We live in a society where Conforming is the norm, right? Stop and think about this for a second. Uh, Most of us came through an education system that is designed to have us all think the same way, give the same answers to the same questions, sit in a constricted desk, move when a bell goes off. It's an education system that was designed to create factory workers. The problem is there are no more factories. And at the risk of getting into a big discussion about economics and politics, they're not coming back. They're just not. And so now we're in a place where as professionals, the thing we were taught, follow the rules, do what you're supposed to do, check off these boxes and you will succeed. Go to college, get an education, start your business, do this, do that. The path is never linear. The path is all over the place. It's chaos, right? The sooner you embrace the chaos and say, you know what? I'm willing to be a little different, the better things will work out for you, right? We, when we think about our best friends, the people that we love the most in our life, chances are they're a little quirky, they're a little weird, they're a little different. Right? And part of what we love about them is that we kind of don't exactly know what's going to happen next. Now, I'm not saying live in chaos all the time, right? You want to have some consistency. But be willing to try something different. Be willing to go a little bit further. Um, I mean, I just rewrote the uh, about section of my website. So if you, um, we had talked. There's there's actually going to be a bonus for the listeners. If you guys go to joeycoleman.com slash brad b r a d. So it's Joey like the seven year olds you know. Coleman like the camping equipment.com. Slash Brad, you can download this uh, first 100 days starter kit that we're going to give you. But then, if you get a chance, click over to the About Us page. I share stories in there that, yes, my wife knows and my close friends know, but there's a bunch of stuff in there that is just completely random. And part of the reason I do that is to show that the path has been really eclectic. You know, we started this entire conversation with a guy who's an expert about customer experience asking what it was like to work at the CIA. There's actually method to the madness and it wasn't as much of a conscious choice when I was growing up to try to do the thing that was a little different or a little odd or distinct, but what I found is throughout my life, those are the pieces that folks are most interested in and those are the pieces that have had the biggest impact. Doing the same thing day after day, that that really hasn't impacted my life. It's the the rare exception, the leaning far out, the taking the leap and hoping the net will appear, and then when the net doesn't appear, trying to grab like crazy as you're falling on the way down. Right? Do something distinct. Do something different, and don't be afraid to kind of break out of the mold you've been in and try something new.
0: Wow. So it's funny timing for that advice because on my 20 minute to and from uh, commute to and from work here, I listen to a lot of Audible books. I'm right now on Einstein by Walter Isaacson Interesting, and that's a guy that he, it's interesting because he was in that mold of education where, hey, everybody think like this and there was a quote by one of his teachers, I'll probably butcher this, but it's something to the effect of Einstein, you're a very bright boy but you can't be told anything and look where that got him, right? So yeah, I, think I think it worked out okay, yeah. right? yeah mean so.
1: and and that's the thing. I mean, if you look at you know, and again, look at the people that stand out in whatever industry it is, politics, sports, business. The names that stand out and and, and the people that you know kind of get our attention are the freaks, the weirdos. I mean, Apple did an incredible commercial years and years ago, right, that was all about this, the rule breakers you know the people that see things differently it's actually a lot more fun there too i mean not only does it have benefits to your personal life but it's more enjoyable than worrying so much about well am i going to look different am i going to stand out you know is this haircut too wild is are these shoes too bold you know whatever it may be just do mini experiments. Just give it a try and try to approach something a little bit differently than you have in the past. And I think you'll be surprised with the results.
0: Awesome advice. Um, that's that's good. So um, well, and as we wrap here, so once again, uh Joey has been incredibly kind. So he is gifting everyone that's watching, listening, however else you're taking this content in. Um, so, it's it's really a starter kit for the first 100 days concept he's talked about. There's going to be a ton of tools in there where you can distill down a lot of what we've covered here today and actually build it into your practice. So, um, joeycoleman.com forward slash Brad. I even have my own special page, so I feel, yes, feel good about that. So anyway, go check that out and um, I just want to say on my end, Joey, thank you so much. This has been an incredible hour or so that we've spent together and uh my guess is we'll probably get a few re- uh, few requests for you to come back and, and hop on here again so thank you
1: be great i'd love to thanks brad i really appreciate the time and thanks to everybody that listened all the way to the end uh you gave us a valuable gift of your time i appreciate that hopefully you got some ideas of things you can implement in your business right away uh, to make that better and if you ever have any questions anybody who's listening ever has any questions things they want to know about do not hesitate to reach out to me it's real simple joey at joey coleman.com we make this really straightforward so you can find me send me an email happy to chat happy to help in any
0: way i can thanks joey and stay stay warm out there in colorado will do thanks so much all right see you buddy bye Hey guys, this is Brad again. Just a few more things before you take off. Number one, seven technology hacks that financial professionals can use to reclaim unproductive hours every day. This is a free tool I'm gifting you on my website, bradleyjohnson.com. It's available right on the homepage and includes seven tools, apps, or other technology hacks I've uncovered in the last decade or so of consulting the top financial practices in the country to allow you to put hours back on your calendar. There's only one way to get it. Subscribe to my free updates and it's delivered to your inbox as soon as you do once again it's available at bradleyjohnson.com b-r-a-d-l-e-y-j-o-h-n-s-o-n dot my gift to you for checking out the podcast number two if you've listened to a few of my shows now and enjoy it i'd appreciate you heading out to itunes or stitcher to rate the podcast and just let me know what you think if you have ideas for future guests please share them there as well Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you on the next show. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.